Jess. And I'm Tiff. And we're your curious cousins. Everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to our brand new podcast geared towards everything that has to do with Oklahoma and the paranormal, dark history, and true crime. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is episode one. Outlaws and gangsters. So on this podcast, we just hope that you guys have an interest in, you know, the darker side of Oklahoma. We know um, we're here just to prove. It's basically just a way to promote our state. And prove that we're just not a flyover state, that we really have a lot um, of history and... Interesting history. Interesting history and kooky things to offer um those eclectic people out there who like to dabble yeah i mean exactly exactly exactly. so as just said our first episode is going to be over infamous oklahoma outlaws and this one's going to be a two-parter but i could definitely see in the future that we're going to be doing more oh yeah i mean there's way more than you think oh yeah a lot because you have to remember that oklahoma was so lawless for a long time before we were even a state um so, yeah, this might turn into a multi, multi-parter over time, but we'll take breaks in between to cover. Yeah, I mean, when I was doing the research for mine, I was just, I've read and had known about some of these people already, mm-hmm. but not remembering exactly everything that went into it. But yeah, um, the people I I did, was it was <laughs> interesting to say the least. So. Well, and the people that I did... <clears throat> Um, I had only really heard of one of them, but then it, like I did a family of outlaws. And so I'd only really heard of one of them and I didn't even know they were a real person. Like Mm -hmm. I thought that they weren't a real person. (laughs) So uh, we hope you guys are as interested as we are. And so I'm going to get started with someone that is probably not well known to um, other people if they're not from the state of Oklahoma. Um, and it is old, old Tom Starr, and he is an outlaw here, famous in Oklahoma. Well, really not Oklahoma, more of Indian territory because he died before um, Oklahoma was a state. So, um, yeah, so let's talk about old Tom Starr. <laughs> I'm excited. He's pretty wicked, I'm not going to lie. Um, he was born in 1813 in Georgia, amongst the Cherokee lands in Georgia, Um if you don't know, um, Cherokees were originally from um, some of the northern Florida area and uh, the Carolinas and Georgia and that area. And he actually died in 1890 in Younger's Bend, Indian Territory. And for those of you that don't know, Indian Territory is now present-day Oklahoma. <laughs> so um, Tom, so I, many of you in, like in your head, you probably have a picture of a native yeah. man, but he was said to be roughly six foot five. And um, I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) I wasn't either. Especially for that time. (laughs) Um, He was very strong. He had black shoulder length hair. Um, He plucked his eyelashes. (laughs) And wore, now get this, get this. He wore a rawhide necklace with men's earlobes hanging. (laughs) That is so gross. Earrings? Men- no, from his necklace. They were his oh, earlobes hanging like from a- his necklace. Like, instead of, like, a shark teeth, he, oh my gosh. he just had men's earlobes. So, I don't know if that's true, but that's, <laughs> that's so what it was said about him. Okay. Um, Interesting. He is mostly known as an outlaw, for a, but for a brief time, he was an Indian scout gorilla. 
During, okay, so he was Native American. He was. He is Cherokee. Okay. Um, or was Cherokee. Um, he was known for a little bit as an Indian scout guerrilla leader during both the Cherokee Civil War and the mm-hmm. American Civil War. And during my research, I did not know that there was a Cherokee Civil War. I have never heard of that. We'll go, I'll go a little bit into it okay. for you. Because um, I didn't know about it either. Um, which is very upsetting, you know. Right, of course. Of course. Um, um, in the beginning, so we're going to start in the way back when. Um... The Starr family supported the Treaty of Echota. I don't know if that's how you properly pronounce it, but I think it is because okay. I think I'm pretty good with um, native pronunciations, but Echota, E-C-H-O-T-A. And uh, this was the treaty between the Cherokee people of the Georgia area and the United States. And it established the seceding of the Georgia territory to the United States mm-hmm. and to move those peoples to Indian territory, which, of course, is... Is, th- is this kind of, of like the Trail of Tears? This is before it. Before, before it. Before okay. it. So Tom's father was James Starr, and he was a supporter and actually a signer of the treaty. And um, this infuriated, you know, half of the Cherokee people. Like, I remember the name John Ross. I don't know if you remember the name yes, John Ross. Mm-hmm. So he had a faction of Cherokees, and they were very opposed to this. Okay. Um, and you've got to think that they probably had been moved prior to this mm-hmm. moving. Sure. Um, and they were probably promised that they were never going to get to move again, and we know how good those promises right. are. Um, so it infuriated John Ross and his supporters because James Starr and his supporters, they were like, okay, let's let's move to Indian Territory. Mm-hmm. Um and so those Cherokees who supported the treaty were actually able to peacefully gather all of their belongings, move at their own rate from Georgia to present-day Oklahoma. Um, they got there on their own time, mm-hmm. you know, with all of their belongings. Okay. And so this happened in 1833 that the supporters, including the Starr family, left and then came to Indian Territory and were able to develop their homesteads. So about five years later in 1838, that is when the Cherokees who had opposed the treaty were then forced to leave Georgia, and they traveled on what is known as the Trail of Tears. Okay. So, um, Which is something we should probably cover. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, this created two factions of the Cherokees when they got here. Um, there was the anti-removal National Party created by John Ross supporters, or those who were against moving to Indian Territory. And mm-hmm. then there was the Treaty Party, which were the supporters... Um, for the removal. They were okay, okay with moving from Georgia. Um, they clashed oh, politically, obviously. I and can ev- imagine. eventually it led violence to violence. Um, and because James Starr supported the removal of his people from Georgia, there were many assassination attempts on him oh, uh, at the hands of the John Ross faction. And of course, this type of violence went both ways. And this is what led to the Cherokee Civil War here. Okay. In Indian Territory. And so we'll fast forward a few years to 1843 where Tom is accused. Let me use some air quotes, accused. <laughs> but most historical documents point that he actually did do this. Sorry. Um, he was accused of attacking and murdering Benjamin Vore, his wife, child, and his house guest. Uh, Vore was a known Ross supporter and was a member of the anti-removal National Party. Um, Tom is said to have set the house on fire after brutally mur- murdering Vor and his wife and his house guest. And um, some people say that um, Tom is said to have set the house on fire and that a child ran out of the burning home and begged to not be killed. Oh, my gosh. And at that, Tom 
is said to have picked up the child who they thought was about five years old and throw him back into the burning house. Can you imagine? No. And it was, I read somewhere that it said something that um, when asked why he would have done that, he said it would be a lot more humane for him to die this way than to live. No. Uh, something of that nature. So this is like allegedly he did this or this is confirmed I, that he did I think it. it's pretty positive that he did okay. kill the Boer family. I'm not sure about the fire. I'm not sure about the throwing the child. Um, That was just some of my sources. Oh, and I forgot to list my sources, which I'll just do at the end. That's fine. So at that point, the Cherokee chief, John Ross, and the U.S. General, Zachary Taylor. Uh I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to hear a lot of name dropping here. Okay. They set a bounty for Tom at $3,000. Oh, wow. um, Which today would equate to over $118,000 for the murder of the Vore family and their friend. And this was an extremely large sum of money back then. It is even today, I would say. But no one shared any information. Like, no one gave up his whereabouts. Nothing. Wow. Okay. And um, so then in 1845, uh, Tom's dad, James Starr, and his son, the youngest son, his name was Buck, which was Tom's youngest brother, are actually attacked by 32 men and killed violently. And these were, of course, believed to be John Ross supporters. Um, Tom was at the homestead when it happened, and so it is said that he witnessed the event and somehow escaped, but he obviously, I'm sure this is no surprise, vowed um, to avenge his father and his brother's death. I mean, right. And um, at this point, the Cherokee Nation declared Tom an outlaw, as well as any of his remaining living brothers, and I believe there were six or seven of them still. Oh, gosh. Okay. So during the Cherokee Civil War, Tom not only killed his enemies, but he also pillaged their property, stealing slaves and livestock and anything invaluable. And I know maybe most people probably don't realize that many natives in Indian Territory did own enslaved people as well. I know the Cherokees did. I'm not sure what other tribes might have, but I know that the Cherokees did. And so he stole them. And I mean... They kind of, like, assimilated into the tribe, though, right? I think so. I think a lot of them did when um, after the Civil War. Okay. Um, it is rumored that Tom stalked 31 men he deemed responsible and killed them all. Like, oh, wow. responsible for his father's death. I do have a question. Okay. So I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. Like, how old was he during this time? Did, did it say? Like, was he... No, it doesn't say. And I'm sure we could do some math, Um we don't, we don't know do exact <laughs> exactly. We, I mean, he doesn't have an exact birth date. We, um, right. we don't even have an exact death date. We just have years. I just and didn't so, know if he was like a teenager or. Well, if he was, he was like born in 1813, and this was 1845, 46ish. Okay. So I mean, 30s, okay. approximately. Yeah. Sounds- anyway, so he, uh, Tom was said. They said that he became very disgruntled if any of the men that he were stalking or hunting died of, like, old age or, oh like, gosh. disease. Like, he got really mad about that. Like, how dare you die because you, <laughs> you got sick, right? He was a very brutal killer. Um, he was said to one man he dragged from his bed and stabbed him 53 times all in front of his, that man's wife. Oh. In 1846, President James Polk stepped in. And I think it's no surprise to most of us, like, Oklahoma was incredibly lawless right and um indian territory it was cut up into the the various native tribes and um you know they all had their own laws Mm -hmm. but you know if outlaws were to go into the native lands like you know they're above the law because they were white and american citizens and so they didn't have to abide by the same laws and Mm -hmm. 
So it was just, at this point, it was crazy. And the violence was getting out of hand and affecting the surrounding states. <laughs> so you, you have to think, Cherokee land is in eastern Oklahoma, for those of you who don't know. And so, of course, it's, you know, affecting Arkansas and, like, southern Missouri and southern Kansas. And so, and those were kind of hot states at the time anyways for different reasons. Right. But, um, so... President Polk was like, well, this is what we'll do. We'll just divide the Cherokee Nation up into three groups. And all of a sudden, the Cherokee Nation was like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No, we don't like this idea. So they formed a truce. And this peace truce is put into place between the two factions to create one nation. So it was still very much the treaty faction and the non-treaty faction. Okay. Um, and this resulted in the pardoning of all citizens of the Cherokee Nation of offenses and crimes. Um, and this included Tom, of course. So oh, Tom okay. is said to have helped orchestrate this truce, but not before going on a killing rampage. Oh, good grief. <laughs> so it is oh, thought man. that the pardoning of all criminals was so that the treaty party would agree to the truce, knowing that Tom was a member of that party and a known outlaw. So I think that's the way they got the treaty party to agree to the truce, was knowing that if Tom was going to be pardoned, mm-hmm. then they would agree to it. Okay. So at this point, you'd think the story needs to end. Right. Okay. They all decided to grow old and have children, get married, and like maybe get married and then have children, and right, um, right, you know, die or die old Oklahoma farmers. Yes, that's not what happened. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> I mean, what kind of story would it be? I, right, why right? we wouldn't be doing the story, would we? Um, <laughs> Tom and his brothers, with their families, settled in an area of Indian territory that is now presently known as Briartown. I have never visited there before. Um, Where is it near? I think it. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we should Google. Right. Uh, yes, probably so. Um, they created a homestead that they called Younger's Bend. And um, this is said to have come from the stars hiding and housing members of the Younger James gang. Okay. And yeah. if you don't know. Well, I mean, that makes sense if it's called Younger's Bend. Yes, including the leaders uh, Cole Young. Mm-hmm. And um, Jesse James. Yeah. Okay. So, and I know that it is not most people say that those two definitely hid out in Oklahoma or Indian Territory at the time. Um, Tom did not choose to live a quiet life. He continued his life of crime, and this included arson, cattle and horse theft, and supply theft. And you know that back in the day, if you were still in cows and horses, that was a hanging offense, you know? Right. Um, so Tom claimed to have, he claimed personally that he killed roughly 100 men throughout his lifetime. Uh, How many? 100. Um, historians say that it was probably closer to 20 um, <laughs> in real life. Uh, between 1861 and 1865, we do know that that is the Civil War. Right. There, uh, there was no definitive dates given on this, but Tom served as a scout for the Confederate forces for General Stan Wadey. Stan Wadey was actually the Confederate uh, Cherokee general during the American Civil mm-hmm. War. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of history about Stan Wadey. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I was in high school, I read the book Rifles for Wadey. It's one of my very favorite books. I highly recommend it if you have never read it. But um, it's fictionalized, but a lot of it, I think it's based on true events. So, um, so he did serve the Confederates, not as an actual Confederate soldier, but... Um, there he helped them. Uh, mostly Tom was known as a whiskey runner in Indian territory. Interesting. Whiskey was forbidden by federal law in all Indian nations. And so, um, he was a bootlegger. I mean, let's be honest, he was a bootlegger. A lot of, um, a lot of Oklahomans seem to be at this. 
right. in these stories. Exactly. <laughs> uh, this led him to actually operating the first ferry on the South Canadian River. Interesting. So okay. he's got that. He, I think like his father, fathered many children, including eight sons and two daughters. Uh, this includes, um, he has a son who fathered outlaw Henry Starr, which I'm going to cover um, later in the show. And then one of his sons married the very famous Bell Starr, which I will cover in episode two. Nice. Um, towards the end of his life, though, in June of 1884, Tom is actually charged under federal law for running five gallons of whiskey into Cherokee County. And in my mind, I'm like, five gallons? That's not a lot. Yeah. But then I forgot that it's whiskey and a little bit of <laughs> whiskey gasoline. probably goes a long way. Oh, you know it. Um, I mean, because it's probably, you know, more alcohol. I know. Yeah, than exactly. Anything. Exactly. And so um, he's charged with that. In December of 1885, so like almost a year and a half later, he's arrested because he's caught selling four more gallons. So now he's got (laughs) nine gallons under his belt. Uh, In 1886, he, I guess he was, he was let go of jail on his nine (laughs) gallons of whiskey. Because in 1886, he was arrested again. He was caught for smuggling one gallon into Indian Territory and jailed in Fort Smith, Arkansas Arkansas with a $300 bond. So now we're up to 10 gallons. Yes. Yes. So he had, at that point, he was, he had a bond of $300 on him in Fort Smith. And that would be, you know, a little over $9,000 today. Okay. Which I'm kind of like, well, it's one gallon. It's not light. <laughs> so um, in November of 1886, Tom pleads guilty. Okay. He pleads guilty to the charges from 1885 and 1886, and he is sentenced to a year and a half in federal prison in Menard, Illinois. Uh, he was released in 1889 and died quietly in 1890 of failing health in Younger's Bend, Indian Territory. All right. Well. Yeah. I mean... He sounds like a hoot. He, I mean, he had a very illustrious life. Um, I have some fun facts, though, okay. about his family. Um, and I just, this one I found extremely funny. Uh, the Starr family is descended from a peace-loving Quaker named Caleb Starr of Pennsylvania. He moved to Cherokee Country, Georgia in 1790. And that is where the Starr family comes from. Okay. So they were... Uh, from Quaker, they were Quakers, and I mean, when I think of Quakers, I definitely think of peace-loving Pennsylvania, who let everybody in to live there when it was a colony. Yes. Um, Tom was known to entertain outlaws like Jim Reed, Jack Spaniard, Felix Griffin, Jim French, Jesse and Frank James, and their other gang members, and Cole and Gary Younger and their gang members. Tom is said to have killed his brother-in-law for two thousand dollars. That's it. <laughs> which would be about today would roughly be worth about sixty-eight thousand dollars. And in order to receive this reward, and this just goes again to tell you how kind of brutal he was, in order to receive his reward, he presented the severed head of his brother-in-law to the Cherokee chief and treasurer as proof. Oh, gross. Mm -hmm. And then there's another story of him. He had, he and a transient gambler had had like a $500 horse bet, and the transient had noticed that Tom wasn't carrying a gun. So he made a threat saying that no matter which horse won, he was going to take all the money. Of course, this irritated Tom. I, he doesn't seem like the type to take that lightly. No, not at all. And he told the can he told the gambler this. <laughs> like, I just imagine like a six foot five man with possibly earlobes hanging from his neckline. He's like that irritates me. <laughs> you think? I mean, I don't know if I'd even want to mess with a six foot five. Guy I don't know that I would make any place. type of bet against him. You know, and so yeah. what do you know? At Tom's horse won. He won, and the gambler attempted to reach for the money. Now, Tom reached for his Bowie knife, and 
everyone that knew him said that he was known to carry this Bowie knife on his person at all times. And it is said that Tom threw the knife so hard at the gambler that not only did it pierce the gambler's body, but it also stuck into the ground. And I'm not sure in my head, did it pierce his body and go all the way through and stick in the ground? Or did it pierce his body to the ground? I don't know what it is. I don't well, know what it is. That's a good question. Because it's like, did he beat his face in first and he like fell on the it ground? It doesn't sound like it, but I, you know... That kind of stuff well, wasn't really never recorded. Know. It could be like a tall tell to like. Oh, absolutely. Make it more... Sometimes I think most outlaw ones yeah. are probably tall tales, in which we'll find out later oh, stories. Yeah. Tom is said to have unhorsed a company of soldiers during the Civil War by looking. I'm look- sorry, what? Uh, unhorsed. Oh, a com- unhorsed. Unhorsed. You said a horse. And I was no. like, what is that? Unhorsed <laughs> a company of soldiers on out looking for him. Okay. By downing a telegraph line and stretching it across the road. It's not funny because people can die this way. But, right. But it's just like, really? Like, it. I don't know. That seems so simple. Right. Um, and um, he, in fact, outlived his daughter-in-law, Belle Star, which is probably way more famous. She is more famous than him. But um, he ended up outliving her. And that is the story of old Tom Star and original... Indian Territory slash Oklahoma outlaw. One of the very first ones, I think. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> was not expecting that. <laughs> it was a good story. It was a good story. It's, um, was more gruesome than I kind of anticipated. <laughs> we do not tell each other our, I mean, we tell each other who we're covering. We don't, like, we don't preface each other like we, yeah we didn't um we don't go into detail about no what we're talking no about. we don't tell we each want other. it to be a surprise yeah we want we want you all to get authentic reactions from each of us <laughs> i kind of gagged a little bit with the <laughs> earlobe thing <laughs> that's where i'm going as halloween that's where i'm going as as halloween i'd like to see that costume. Star. i'm just not tall enough but i can be a shorter version <laughs> well <His> teenage version <laughs> <laughs> well are you ready for a lighter note? Yes. Yes. Okay. Sorry, the mic fell. <laughs> okay, so my first outlaw is um, Elmer McCurdy. Oh, yes. Oh, um, yes. He is most famous uh, for his life after death, <laughs> if you want to say. Post-humorous. His post-humorous life. life. Yeah. Um, so let's just get right in. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> do you know much about Elmer? I do, kind of, yeah. I mean, I, probably most, I feel like, a, I feel like, after life. I feel like people at least have heard the name. Yes. I mean, a lot of our favorite podcasts have covered him before. Yes. So, shout out to Morbid, a true crime podcast, and shout out to... And that's why we drink. And that's why we drink. <laughs> Those are some of our favorites. Okay. All right. Well, Elmer McCurdy, he was born in Washington, Maine, around 1880 to Sadie McCurdy. Now... Oh, I didn't know that he wasn't born in Oklahoma. Yeah. They don't really know he, who his father was. So, um... Scandalous. <laughs> well, one source I, I found, which I'll name after, um, said that some historians believed it to be an older cousin of... McCurdy's mother and but that's not confirmed I mean that was the only there was only one source I saw that mentioned that so I don't know how accurate that actually is but anyway he ended up um 
learning the, the plumbing trade. And this took him to um, where <laughs> he mom. moved out. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway, McCurdy moved out west in 1903, taking the job as like a itinerant um, plumber, which I didn't even know what that meant. So I had to look it up. And it just meant basically he was like a traveling plumber. So kind of like a traveling salesman, but his plumbing jobs. Maybe which, so he just traveled from town to town and was like, do you need your pipes cleaned? I mean, I guess so. It didn't really go into detail on how he did it. But um, he it said he took jobs in both Cherryville, Kansas, and Webb City, Missouri. Okay. So... Hmm. He didn't do that long. Let's just put it that way. Well, I, I was just now thinking. I was like, "Wow, he was a plumber." I mean, like plumbing is pretty lucrative work. I, would I mean, think, yeah, even everyone now. always needs a plumber. Well, and you know, now I'm thinking about it. I mean, I guess this is 1903, but oh, I mean, was Not- it like outhouses or? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Do you have plumbing for outhouses? I wonder. A drainage ditch? I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm really he not just sure. Went to like. Like fancy hotels, because you know that they probably had or, I mean, maybe plumbing. Well, maybe it had also something to do with like maybe in kitchens where the water or yeah, water pumping, pumping the yeah. water. Maybe that's what it. I love meant. how we jump <clears throat> from conclusions. We just jump straight to toilet humor. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> good thing we're related. <laughs> um. Anyway, in 1907, uh, McCurdy joined the army. And on November 7th of 1910, he was discharged from the Quartermaster Corps. Um, it didn't say, like, he wasn't, like, dishonorably just discharged or anything like that. I think it was just he like did his time in the yeah, Army and he was finished. Time. So um, <laughs> just three days after being discharged from the Army, his life of crime gets its start. Like, so, wait, so he went from being a plumber. Yes. To going into the Army. Yes. And then... A criminal. A cr- <laughs> but just oh. just wait to hear what he's arrested for. What? <clears throat> okay, I have, to, I have to say, though, Elmer McCurdy... Now, I'm sorry if anyone is offended by this, but he is probably the dumbest criminal <laughs> we're going to cover. He is the dumbest I, I don't know. I don't know. Just wait. I mean... Okay. okay. He's... Something. I mean, Let's I, I want to say, like, way. all criminals are dumb. So. Well, I mean, more than but, most. Yeah. He wasn't the the brightest crown in the box. We'll just okay. put it that way. But, um, okay, so... Crayola's criminal crayon. <laughs> <laughs> he was arrested and convicted, along with another man, for being in possession of burglar's tools. Ooh. Is it a bobby pin? You know, it didn't say. It didn't go into specifics. I mean, you know, back in that time, if he was in possession of a bobby pin, it was probably pretty questionable since he was not a lady. You never know. So um, from that point on, his ridiculous, and by ridiculous, I mean laughable, criminal career path begins. (laughs) (laughs) So, like I said, apparently McCurdy was a terrible, terrible criminal. And by terrible, I mean just not a <laughs> smart criminal. <laughs> um, it was just it was just one bungled burglary after another. I guess we should just give him points for his uh, perseverance and oh. 
keeping at it. Oh, okay. But, um... So never, the, while he kept bungling these, he never thought, maybe this isn't the Was it his career path this he should wasn't... take? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it, it, it said that the trains he tried to rob were always on time, but he could just <laughs> never keep the schedule straight. <laughs> so... Take that as you will. You would think that he was in, like, the army, and I think they're always, like, punctuality is one thing that the army is probably known for. Well, he obviously wasn't high up in the army. (laughs) He missed that day. (laughs) Um, So one time he actually robbed the wrong train. Oh, Lord. So (laughs) on October 4th, 1911, (laughs) the MK&T train, which is also known as the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas Railroad, um, it traveled through... Um, Ocasa, Oklahoma, and was boarded by McCurdy Oklahoma? and his gang. What? No, Oklahoma. I said... You said Oklahoma. <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> I just haven't... <laughs> I just haven't lived here my whole life. Exactly. <laughs> We're cutting that out. <laughs> we don't want to offend anyone. We love all people, I promise. We love everyone. We accept everyone. I still think I said Oklahoma. I don't know what she heard. Um, let's try that one more time. Okay. So he boarded a train, the MKNT, mm-hmm. Missouri, Kansas, and Texas Railroad, traveling through Akessa, Oklahoma. Where's the O? MKNT? What? You had to go through the whole state of Oklahoma, too. Rude. Rude. <sighs> It was boarded by McCurdy and his gang, and he believed they were going to get this big payoff. For whatever reason, he thought the train was carrying a cargo that was said to be worth, like, in the thousands. Um, However, (laughs) the train he took was the wrong one, and he came away with, you ready? (laughs) Two bottles of whiskey and $46, which today only adds up to just a little over (laughs) $1,400. to meet old Tom. So, <laughs> two bottles of whiskey. At least he had 10 gallons. At least Tom at some point had 10 gallons. Um, on another occasion, McCurdy stopped a train near Linopaw, Oklahoma, that was said to have more than 4,000 in the safe. McCurdy let his over-eagerness get the best of him, so I guess he got excited and overestimated the amount of explosives he would need. Oh my, he had explosives? And as- <laughs> Oh, my gosh. And as a a result, he blew the safe and all the contents, including some silver, um, the money, blew it all to smithereens. Who gave him? Where did he find these explosives? I think someone needs to take his outlaw card. (laughs) For sure. Um, So the outlaws only came away with, like, $450. Because they blew the rest of it all up. <laughs> oh, my means. gosh. <laughs> so um, time and experience did not improve McCurdy's mm, train mm, robbing mm, skills mm, mm-hmm. like at all. So wow. here's another. Here, here's This is kind of coming to the end of his criminal career. In the early morning hours of October 7th, 1911, just three days after his um, bumbling, bungled train robbing attempt with the wrong train... McCurdy was in an hour-long shootout with three posse men who tracked him down near Pawhuska, which is about an hour north of Tulsa. Yeah. 
at the Charlie Rivard Ranch where McCurdy was shot and killed. I wonder, like, I want to drive, I mean, I want to drive the Husky right now. And I want to see if there's, like, a plaque or something that, like... Here lie here is here where McCurdy was shot. <laughs> the dumbest criminal in Oklahoma was shot. Yeah, I was I was interested in knowing, um, like if that ranch was still there. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, that might be. But um, so anyway, it's not owned by the Drummond family. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Pioneer Woman. Woo-hoo. Um, you would think that would be the the end of this this story because honestly who cares about this this is where i know the story from now from this point (laughs) yeah because i mean who cares about this bumbling yeah who really cares idiot of an incompetent train robber so um it's not like his notoriety was up there with like the dalton gang or jesse james or even bell star which you're gonna get into (laughs) um but folks this is where it gets interesting oh yes yes friends yes so, McCurdy's body was taken back to Pawhuska um, to, uh, well, I say taken, it was dumped at the Johnson funeral home. Um, it's not really clear why, but the undertaker embalmed the body with arsenic. Um, it could have been that he was... A million and one different, re- different ways to use arsenic. I never heard that it could be <laughs> well, an embalming agent. Well, interesting. Okay, well, it could have been that he was worried that none of McCurdy's relatives would come and claim the body. So maybe that's why he did it. But um, actually using arsenic was a practice used back then oh, okay. that if the body needed to be preserved for long periods of time, oh, okay. Um, okay. when waiting on a family to identify it, it yeah. helped okay. with the preservation of it. So um, of course, nobody came. So I'm not surprised. You know, it never really mentioned... Um, like, after this point, like, what happened with his yeah. family? It never really mentioned them again. I In my mind, like, the stories that I do know of him, I don't ever recall them ever mentioning him having any family whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, so. I think, actually, I think at this point, I didn't mention this earlier, but I think his mom died um, at some point. Yeah. And that was part of the reason why he left. <laughs> She's not still alive now. Well, I think that's why he left Maine. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that's right. He is from Maine. Okay, okay, that's right. And he didn't area. know his father, so... Okay. And, yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Glad we cleared that up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, since nobody claimed his body, McCurdy's body remained on display in Johnson's mortuary, where many people came and paid to, to view it. And, um, I mean, I guess that's a good way I, to see what you might look like. I in, think they like, charged a... Oh, yeah. I would fit nicely inside that coffin. I mean, maybe. They charged a nickel to see well, it, so... I'm not going to lie. I might have paid that nickel I'm, to see it. I like to look at things. Like, little, I don't know why. We're but, a little morbid like that. I know. I'd do it. I'd, I'm not going to lie. I would do it. I would do it. I'd pay a nickel to see him. So, all right. We're going to fast forward a couple years. I say a couple. I mean a few. <laughs> On October 5th, 1916, Johnson received a phone call from Charles and James Patterson. They claimed that they were McCurdy's brothers. And um, the brothers were able to persuade the Osage County attorney that um, to allow them to come and take the that body. That doesn't surprise me. Oops. On October 7th, 1916, exactly five years after his death, Elmer McCurdy was on his way to Arkansas City, Arkansas. Um, apparently, James Patterson was an owner of a traveling carnival show, 
And yes. <laughs> <laughs> and when Charles, who's a, who was a salesman for, uh, I think it's called Lush, Lush, L-E-S-H, Lush Oil Company, told James um, of the Mummified Bandit in Oklahoma, and together they came up with this plan <laughs> to claim McCurdy as their brother, who they were, quote, unquote, taking home to their sick mother. Mm-hmm. Um, the scheme involved the Patterson brothers using McCurdy as a headliner of the show. <laughs> that, again, is traveling. So can you imagine, like, I five years after the fact, and they're like, oh, there's this dead body. Let's go. There's this dead body that they use to model the... <laughs> The, the coffins. The with. funeral homes make them bank with with a nickel a, a look. Let's go. Let's go traveling <laughs> and show people his dead body. Wait. Okay. So when he was he died, he was right. in a shootout, right? Yeah, it was okay. like an hour long shootout. Okay. So I think he was probably riddled with bullet wounds. Right? I would assume it didn't. I didn't find anything that said like specifics, but yeah. I mean, he would have to be. I mean, we'll post pictures of him on Instagram. Right. So, um, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Trying to picture it. I am trying to picture it. And what, keep talking. I'm going to Google it. Okay. So, <laughs> so after they picked up McCurdy, um, he was then taken to Woodward, Oklahoma for a week oh. where apparently he was a huge hit. I'm and then surprised. he made his way down to Texas. Mm. So, I mean, there <laughs> he is. Wow. McCurdy stayed with the show for six years until the owners sold the operation in 1922 to Lewis Sonny's Museum of Crime. Ooh. Where's that at? Um, you had to ask. Of course um, you did, because I, I think, there. I think it was in California. I could be wrong. Well, Okay, I wrote these notes a while ago. So. Okay, no, it's fine. <laughs> um, oh, it's in LA. It's in LA. Okay, so I was right. Yeah. Um, so McCurdy was one of the top billing attractions, along with uh, wax replicas of other prominent outlaws, such as Jesse James and Bill Doolin and the Daltons. Oh. Um, I keep talking because I have a. I think I've I've heard something about this. Like they did they. It was like that museum, they didn't, did, did they know that he was actually a real mummy or did they think he was like actually just a... No, I'll get to that. Okay, but, I'll, okay. but they thought, I mean, they thought he was like a wax okay, figure. Yeah. So he was among the other wax figures. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, Surprise! I'm just, I want to know what, how well, like what kind of arsenic did that? Okay. <laughs> I also would like to know, like, who was the person who was just standing there one day and they're like, I don't think this part this is made of wax um i'll get to that oh, okay i'll okay, get perfect, to that perfect. so it'll it, a little bit later okay, sorry, but sorry, sorry. i i will i will cover that so um mccurdy stayed with the uh lewis sunny museum of crime up until 1971 so from 1922 to 1971 well that's like it was up until um when the museum got sold to ed leersh Le- i don't know if i'm saying that right okay. leersh <laughs> L-I-E-R-S-C-H. So I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing, which I probably am. Um, By this point, McCurdy's mummified body had been in showbiz for nearly 55 years. (laughs) So this was longer than his criminal career and even longer than his lifespan of 31 years. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, he... Um, Well, I mean, as you can imagine, his body was starting to look raggedy. 
to the extreme due to the age and oh, yeah. decomposition. I'm looking at the pictures now and there's a part of me that really is like, how I, did you think that this was a wax figure or a mop? Like, there's no way, there's no doubt in my mind that that isn't like an actual mummified person. But maybe, maybe because I know what like Egyptian mummies look like. Right. You know? Yeah. Well... So as you can imagine, oh, I already said that his body was like starting to look like just some grossness, right? Yeah. Um, however, <laughs> McCurdy still had one more starring role and was on TV. Oh. So McCurdy's withering corpse was now reduced to a creepy prop. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, his remains were literally hung by the neck in a funhouse called The Laugh in the Dark which was a wax figure exhibition that was the brainchild of Ed Leish and his partner, D.R. Crydale. Is this place still open? Do you know? Um, I don't okay. think so. I don't think so, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But I don't think so. Because um, <laughs> I want to go. This, that, but that Laugh House, it was an attraction that opened along Long Beach Pine okay. in California. Okay. Okay. So, um, fun fact. You ready? Yes, yes, yes. It's been estimated that the total distance traveled by McCurdy's corpse would circle the earth one and a half times. Well, dang. He's quite the worldly traveler, isn't he? Excuse me. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> so, oh, here we go. Here's an answer to your question okay, that you okay, just okay. asked. Um, after five years, the funhouse closed and was then leased to Universal Television Studio, who chose the site for the filming of um, the Six Million Dollar Man. So, is that a movie? Yeah, uh, I can't remember if it's a movie or if it's an episode of something. Okay, I'll have to look. I should have been better at my research. I think I thought it was a movie, but I'm terrible with movies, though. Um, you know, at this point, McCurdy's stand-up routine was brought back into action with that. (laughs) His stand-up routine? (laughs) So, this goes back to what you asked earlier about Mm. how did they not know that it was wax? Yes, yes. Or or how they found out that he wasn't wax. Yeah. So, as McCurdy was being lowered from the spot where he was hanging. Oh, no, please tell me. Oh, one no. of his... Oh, no. <laughs> this is so bad, but it's kind of like, of course, this is what happened to him. Oh, no. Because um, he apparently has no luck, you know. Well, even in death. Um, one of his arms fell off, mm. revealing that he was not made of wax, <laughs> but out of what looked like human bones and muscle tissue. You don't so, say. Can you imagine being the guy having to pick up that arm? Worst you day of work was wax in your life. <laughs> Worst day of work. You're like, nope, that's not wax. Nope. Not doing it. Not today. I bet he screamed like a girl, and I wouldn't have blamed him at all. I'd be like, well, not today, Satan. Like, I mean, that would scar me for life. I would not ever go back to work. I hope they gave that man a raise or a nice severance package when he left, because there's no way I'm coming back with an that. added like vacation. Yeah, absolutely. On the beach somewhere. That's not California. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, after the arm incident and realizing that it could be a human, a coroner was called in um, to come and investigate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to determine that nothing um, criminal had occurred. So they just wanted to make sure that this wasn't like maybe his body got burned or something and yeah. he's 
they just wanted to make sure that it wasn't something that had happened yeah, there or, or something. Yeah, for right. Sure. So the body of Elmer McCurdy was sent back to Oklahoma. And on April 22nd, 1977, Elmer McCurdy's funeral took place in Guthrie, complete with a white pine casket and a black horse-drawn hearse that was provided by Gil Lessert Funeral Home of Ponca City. Well. <laughs> McCurdy is now at rest in Guthrie's Summit View Cemetery, so you can go visit, which I've heard there are tons of, like, outlaws that are buried in Guthrie Cemetery. Oh, okay. And it's also haunted, I've heard. Ooh, so yes, it's supposed to be very haunted, Guthrie is. Fun trip that would make. Um, but he's buried under two feet of concrete I, to I make sure that, that um, he stayed put. Because I think they were afraid people were going to try to dig him up. And I mean, at this point, his the guy body, deserves some rest. Yes, and obviously his body is well-preserved, so... Well, um, even though he never achieved his criminal bandit status that he had hoped for, mm-hmm. he was buried next to the infamous Bill Doolin. Who probably which, rolled over instantly and was like, don't put me next don't to Don't talk school. to me. <laughs> so, which that's another person we'll probably oh, cover for at sure, some for point. Sure. But that is the story of Elmer McCurdy. He's always entertaining, and I've heard his story a few times. He's always so entertaining. And hopefully, if you've never heard his story, like you find him entertaining. Well, are you ready to wrap this up? Yes. With let's, my um, let's do it with um with the bear cat. Is that his nickname? That is his nickname, Henry Star, aka the Bear Cat. I'm not really sure where it came from, and went, by the end of this story, you're probably going he he's probably going to rank very up there next to Elmer McCurdy. Not as dumb, but I mean, what is a bear cat? I, I it's it is an animal. Okay, so it's like a legit thing. Um, yes, I think it's actually a feline species. Okay. But it's got ears that look like a bear. Okay. I remember oh. asking my husband, because his hometown, their um, mascot is a bear cat, and I was like, oh, when you were little, did they call you the cub kitties? <laughs> and he... <laughs> I can imagine his face. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was not thrilled with that comment. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. All right. So Henry Starr, a.k.a. the bear cat. Um, he was born December 2nd, 1873 in Fort Gibson, Indian Territory, which of course is now Oklahoma, um, and died February 22nd, 1921 in Harrison, Arkansas. He's actually buried in Dewey. Okay. Um, and at the time was Indian Territory, of course, is now Oklahoma. He's the son of George and Mary Scott Starr, the grandson of old Tom Starr and the nephew of Sam Starr, whose wife was Belle Starr. Um, he is said to be the last of a long line of star family criminals. So Ooh. it's definitely a family affair. Oh, it sounds um, like it. He grew up around gangsters, even though it's been said his father was actually the peaceful brother. And his dad was a homesteader and was a farmer and, you know, did all that life. But um, in 1886, uh, George Starr ends up passing away and leaves Mary with three children and this farm. So Tom Starr was the grandfather? Grandpa, yeah. Yeah, okay. that's grandpa. And so the mom, Mary, is she remarries, you know, she's got three kids and a farm to take care of. So she remarries a man by the name of C.N. Walker. And Henry and Walker did not get along. So the moment that Henry was able to, he left home to become a cowboy, like every country song. Oh, yeah, that that sounds like... (laughs) Every single one of them, right? Yeah. He uh, claimed from an early age that he was often arrested for crimes that he just did not commit. Oh, of course. He didn't commit. People were blaming him. They blamed him. Um, 
he was incredibly whiny and arrogant, <laughs> incredibly whiny, and he blamed others for all of his troubles. Um, and he only had a sixth grade education. Oh, wow. I'm sure that wasn't his fault either. Uh, because he was often accused of crimes, he simply decided that he would just start committing them. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, well, yeah. That's, he that's also normal. claimed that he was a free spirit. Oh. And he attributed that to his Cherokee Nation okay. um, citizen citizenship um that he was free and he was ruled by the earth and whatever and hmm, okay take with that with what you will 1892 was his first official crime he it was a general store uh, robbery in no water so just north of here and then shortly after that he held up a railroad a railway it's hard word to say railway station in no water with the outlaws ed newcomb and jesse jackson these two were known whiskey runners in indian territory okay um did they work for his grandpa <laughs> i don't know probably um so at this point i he was like oh pretty good at this i guess so he started to rob more and more banks, and this was the start of his reputation. He, it is stated, I don't know if there's any serious historical fact to this, but it is stated in almost everything mm-hmm. that you read about him was that he robbed more banks than any other outlaws, even more than the James Younger gang and Doolin Dalton gang combined. Wow. Okay. So um, it is suspected that he netted about $60,000, which would be roughly about $2 million today. Wow. From his more than 21 bank robberies that he did. My goodness. Um, the worst thing, I mean, bank robbery is pretty bad, I would right. assume. But the actual, the worst crime that he committed was in 1893 because he actually murdered Floyd uh, Wilson. He was a former U.S. Marshal. Wilson was asked to help... Wilson, poor guy, I think was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was asked to help pursue Henry by, like, another marshal or deputy. And so they were... This guy and Wilson were chasing Henry down. Well, um, the other guy, the the actual, like, lawman, like, fell behind somehow. So Mm -hmm. Wilson just kept pursuing, kept pursuing him and caught up. And when they had met up with each other, Henry and this Floyd Wilson... It's believed that Wilson shot a warning shot at Henry. And Henry claimed that he begged Wilson not to make me kill you. And it, it's, I mean, it's pretty much known that he had never killed anybody. Henry had never killed anybody. Uh-huh. Um, but in the end, Wilson was shot three times. Once, or Wilson himself shot three times. Not that he was shot three times. He shot three times. Um, and in one of those shots, he actually hit Henry's saddle. Mm-hmm. And so when that happened, Henry then proceeded to shoot Wilson after Wilson's gun jammed. So um, Henry shot Wilson again. Like he shot Wilson and he, his, gun, his gun had jammed, so Henry shot Wilson. Mm-hmm. And he fell off of his horse. So then Henry walked up to Wilson, shot him again as he laid on the ground, and then again a third time at point blank in the chest. Okay. And um, then to cap it all off, Henry rode away on Wilson's horse. <clears throat> okay. Well. So, and this made me think that when Wilson shot the saddle, did it actually hit Henry's horse? Mm-hmm. Or did it, like, scare him and it unseated him? It wasn't said, like, like what happened to Henry's horse. Maybe it, never it said got, what happened. like, lodged yeah. in the saddle. Yeah, um, So, it is, one of the legends that surround uh, Henry is that Henry and Milo Creekmore, which is another set of outlaws here in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. robbed many people in small stores in the beginning. And Henry went along with them, but 
This is this is a funny story. Okay. Um, it is said at one store robbery, Henry Ra got, received five hundred dollars mm-hmm. from this store, which is about it's over sixteen thousand dollars today. But then something happened inside his heart. It's a Grinch moment. He gave the clerk of Henry's heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. He gave the clerk back ten dollars so he could continue to do business that day. <laughs> So he got away with forty four hundred and ninety dollars. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's charity. <laughs> All right. um, and I'm sure he appreciated that, <laughs> right? In March of eighteen ninety three, he um, decided that he was going to rob the Katy train in Prior Creek Indian Territory, and he got five thousand dollars at that point. Um, sorry, Ed. <laughs> or Elmer, sorry, not Ed. It's Elmer. Elmer, um, you should have stuck with this guy. Right. Uh, that's roughly. It's over one hundred sixty-four thousand dollars today. Um, and not only did he get that money, but he got a ton of valuables because he robbed the train, and th- there was lots of wealthy passengers on the train, so he robbed them as well. Um, so at this point in his life, he um, he was very arrogant, like I said, and so he claimed that he and his gang shot 100 rounds of ammunition oh. a day, and they ate every delicacy that they could obtain. I mean, that's a lot of money for ammunition, I feel like. Right, right. Or, I mean, I feel like... None of this has ever been proven that any right. of that was true, but that was <laughs> what he would go around telling people. Um, in June of, 19, of 1893, in Bentonville, Arkansas, oh. he did another bank robbery, and... He attempted it, but the citizens of the city had heard what was happening, so they gathered their own arms and started firing on the outlaws. Um, This, of course, was before, you know, FDIC and money, insurance, and protection. So if the money was robbed, the money was gone from those actual people. They would never get it back. Right. So, (laughs) hold on to your horses here. (laughs) Literally. Once the citizens started firing on the outlaws, Henry ran for his life. And guess what? There's no honor among thieves here. (laughs) Several gang members were shot. And they would never ride again together. And a posse was sent out and tried to collect the thieves. Some were caught, but not Henry. He got away with $11,000, which today would equal $358,000. And at that point, things were getting so hot in the Indian Territory area that he decided it was time to make like the Clampets and head to California. Oh. And while heading to California, though, you know, he couldn't just go. He just couldn't. He couldn't do just one thing. He's arrested in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He attempted a jailbreak because he was facing charges from Fort Smith in Bentonville, Arkansas. Uh, The bank in Bentonville actually tried to sue Henry for the $11,000 that he had stolen, but he denied the claim. (laughs) Well, how would they even prove it? Well, guess what? <laughs> Funny that you should ask that, oh, actually. Okay. He was actually carrying some of the money from that robbery on his person at the time he was arrested. All right. Um, Him and Elmer should be best friends. <laughs> and here's the thing. I mean, he didn't, must have not known what laundering money was at the time. Maybe they didn't have that. It hadn't been invented yet. I'm not sure, but... And wonder. Right, right. Um, this is um, this here is the start of some big trials that he has. Um and his biggest conviction comes not from any of the robberies, but actually from the murder charge with, of Floyd Wilson. Here, or probably in the southern United States, Judge Isaac Parker was extremely famous. He was known yes. as the Hanging Judge. Yes. He actually was the judge who found Henry guilty and sentenced him to death. This judge is very famous because mm-hmm. um, he had very stiff convictions. He also condemned your immortal soul on the stand. Um, and... Oh, I think he was, like, 
a lot of outlaws were a lot a lot many sent through him oh many were yes of course yes and so he actually gave henry a 20 minute lecture on morality and salvation then handed down the death sentence to him wow so you listen to him preach at you for 20 minutes and then he's like you're gonna die and you're gonna die by hanging and so shockingly sarcasm here (laughs) the u.s supreme court reversed the sentence and set a second trial the court the supreme court doesn't do that does it doesn't reverse (laughs) things does it does it how did they even get involved is what i want to know that's a great question i think it's because he was native he had he had tribal citizenship and that must have been it but um so here he goes in july of 1895 he's awaiting a second trial and another very famous outlaw, which we will probably cover, is Cherokee Bill, a.k.a. Crawford Goldsby. He was, I feel like I've heard the He's name, very, very violent um, outlaw. Much. He, this Cherokee Bill, he had received a smuggled gun into the jail and was, gonna, and was staging a jailbreak. And so he fired the gun off at anybody who even got near his cell at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually shot one guard in the stomach and in the back. Oh my and gosh. so no one was able to get, and it was like, mar- I mean, it was, it was just bedlam in there. Mm-hmm. But somehow, old Henry. Oh, here we go. He was able to get Crawford to talk to him. And then he entered Crawford's cell. Later, they both emerged without, a, without the gun, and the fight was over. And I'm not really sure what Henry, what flouncy words he had to say to him or how he calmed him down, but somehow he was able to end the jailbreak and nobody else was hurt and nobody actually escaped. So he still has a second trial to go to. Okay. He was again found guilty and sentenced to death by Judge Parker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned it. Oh my gosh. Again. This event may have been Excuse me. The ca- either the catalyst that caused Judge Parker to finally leave the bench, or maybe this is what began him deciding it was like time his, to go. Yeah, okay. Um, because soon after this verdict, uh, it is known that Judge Parker retires. And um, so Henry was once again tried a third time, um, this time by Judge John Rogers, who changed the murder charge to manslaughter. So Henry was found guilty for a third time and was sentenced to 13 years behind bars. So let it be said now that any time Henry was in jail, he had exceedingly good behavior. Model Model. prisoner. Just probably, you know, you would probably question why he was even there to begin with. Almost is like a chameleon. Oh, for sure. He can change and adapt to his environment. He was definitely able to play the system. For sure. And so at this time, while he's in jail being just Mm -hmm. the model prisoner, his mother sought out the Cherokee Council to help him because he needed to come home. And so the council then approached President Theodore Roosevelt. So was he still in Colorado Springs at this time? Or Um, somewhere else? For some reason, I'm thinking for some... Yes, but then he was extradited to Arkansas. Oh, okay. And so for some reason, I'm thinking he was actually in jail in Illinois, kind of the same place that old Tom was, but maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was in Arkansas somewhere. Okay. Maybe um, I just missed yeah. saying that. Well, I didn't. I, I, I don't remember. I don't think I wrote down where Henry was in jail at this time. Um, but so the Cherokee Council approaches President Roosevelt, and they ask for clemency for Henry. And I... There's lots of big name people in the stars' life. Like they just have the pull 
to talk to have presidents well tell me who did they know i I don't know who they knew but somehow presidents dealt with them directly oh wow so anyways president roosevelt somehow contacted henry and asked him if he was going to be good (laughs) sorry i don't can you hear my eyes rolling audience i can i can Um, hear i can see uh so oh i don't know if you know what he said he said he would. Yeah, he said. He said, yes, I'll be good. I'll be good. He, he didn't say it like that, I'm sure. but And so he was released from prison in 1903. So Henry moves back to Tulsa and marries his first wife, Ollie Griffin. The end. That's where the story ends. That's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> Arkansas was pretty hacked about this. They wanted Henry extradited to stand tri- trial in Bentonville for the bank robbery. Uh, But the um, Oklahoma authorities refused on the grounds that Henry was a member of one of these civilized tribes. Mm -hmm. So they would not extradite him. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Like I said, this should be the end of the story. He got married, had kids, had grandkids, died an old man. (laughs) It's not. In 1908, so here we are, 1908, Henry stayed lawful for a short time. For a short time. He then joined up with Kid Wilson, and they robbed a bank in Tyro, Kansas. They instantly escaped to Colorado and robbed another bank in Amity, Colorado. Um, Henry then decided he was going to move to Arizona under a new identity. Things were getting too hot in Oklahoma and Colorado, however. This is a bit of impressive detective work okay. for 1908. He, um, Henry, in Henry fashion, he was caught. Mm-hmm. Because he sent a letter home to Oklahoma, and they traced the letter. So, um, pretty genius. Um, the Arizona authorities arrested him and sent him back to Colorado. So, I'm guessing he left his wife and... We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, Colorado found him guilty of bank robbery and sentenced him to 25 years now. Henry was sent to Canyon City Penitentiary. It might be Canaan. Canaan, Canaan. Um, City Penitentiary. Um, that is in Colorado, I believe. Uh, but again, as is Henry, mm-hmm. he was released in 1913 for good behavior. Oh. Um, but there was one condition. What What was that? He wasn't to leave Colorado. Oh. Um, I don't see him staying. Why? Why? Why, why don't you think he'd stay in Colorado? They got way better weather than we do. <laughs> he instantly moved back to Oklahoma and back to robbing banks. Um, and on his way back to Oklahoma, he sure did take another man's wife with him. Because, like you had asked first, his first wife filed for divorce when he went to prison and was like, well, no, we're done. Interesting. It's interesting because it never said if she knew of his lifestyle or not or if this may have caught her off guard. Anyway, she divorced him. And so then he went to, he moved to Oklahoma and he took him, he took another man's wife with him. So this is when those wanted dead or alive posters started going up all over Oklahoma and they had his mugshot on it. Well, and by this time, Oklahoma was a state. We were a state by now. And this is when Henry was living in Tulsa. He was actually living in Tulsa, but he was just so hard to find. Um, But he boasted, it's weird, because he boasted, and it was also said that he claimed to know both the judge here in Tulsa County and the sheriff. Um, When the heat, then the heat, again, he just really started to heat up again. Mm Mm-hmm. For him. Um, So he thought he would use this tactic that his old family friend had, which was writing to the governor to profess his innocence. Jesse James Mm. was that friend who also did the same thing. And just like Mr. James, it didn't work. It didn't work. So in March 1915, 
Uh, Henry and his gang concoct a new plan. Okay. Tell me more. Um, yes. Uh, it's a plan similar to that that, uh, that of what the Dalton gang had done in Coffeyville, Kansas, 23 years prior to this. And it was to rob two banks at the same time. Oh, yes. um, Henry and his gang of six men. Six. He took six. I thought that was an incredibly low number. High? Is it high? I don't know. I thought it was low. Well, I've never robbed a bank. Me neither. So I don't know how many people it would take, but I would think it would take more than six. 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 And they went into a bank in Stroud, Oklahoma, which is that perfect spot in between Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Yeah, that midpoint. Yes. Uh, they thought the robberies were going as planned. Um, but I have an expert from the book um, Oklahoma Ta- or Outlaw Tales from Oklahoma, True Stories of the Sooner State's Most Infamous Crooks, Culprits, and Cutthroats. It's by Robert Barr Smith. I highly recommend this book. It's Yeah, we have several several of our sources came yes, um, several Smith from him. is a great author and all things Oklahoma and it's very entertaining. Yes. Author, especially of um, you know, nonfiction works. So. Right. I would agree. On March 27, 1915, at about 9 a.m., Starr and his crew rode into Stroud and set to work. At first, the robbery went according to plan. Starr divided his force into two parties of three men, and they entered simultaneously the First National and the Stroud State Bank. Starr led the column that would raid the State Bank, brandishing a short rifle he had carried stuffed down his pants leg. Probably lucky he didn't <laughs> I feel like shoot his a leg. Horrible off. place to I think rifle. it is too. As his partners covered two bankmen and a customer with pistols, Starr got $1,600 in loose cash, and then he demanded the bookkeeper, J.B. Charles, open the safe or Starr would kill him. I'm going to pause here because only turn of the century 1900s would people have the guts or maybe the gumption, I don't know, to say this, the following. You'll have to kill me then, said Mm. Charles coolly, because I don't know the combination. (laughs) I mean, at least he's honest. Well, right. Starr then threatened bank vice president, St. Patrick, who just as coolly told the outlaw leader that the safe had already been opened for the day's operating cash, but was then reclosed and its time lock reset for the next day. Frustrated, Starr snatched Patrick's diamond stick pin and herded him, Charles, and a customer out into the street. Over in the First National, Starr's companions found the safe open and swept up more than $4,000. When Starr joined them, they collected four bank employees and five customers to use as human shields. Oh my goodness. Herding these nine men in from them, along with the hostages from the state bank, the whole bandit gang walked deliberately toward their horses. But word of the holdup had spread through the town, and armed citizens were beginning to collect. Interesting. (laughs) um, It's interesting because there's a shootout now. Right. And um, Henry is shot. Henry and another one of the guys are shot. And again, remember, we talked about that there's no honor. Right. The other four guys, they left. Bailed. They bailed on him. Of course they did. Instantly, and Henry is shot. And I think in the leg or in the hip or something by a teenager, by this teenage kid. Oh, from like the the crowd. Yes, coming. yes. Like I, I want to say he was like fifteen or sixteen years old. Shot him. Good. Like no one else did. But so you had this like little farm boy who just got him. And so a posse with the aid and like a new invention was in town now. And so they had the telephone now. And so they could call. I don't know where they were going to call. Who they were going to call? Other. Um, other agencies they could call them to chase to chase down henry's gang but they all were able to escape well 
four of them were anyway. What year was this again? Um, 1915. 1915. So, um, so I mean, I feel like at that point, the telephone was probably still a fairly new thing. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. In that part of the yes. state. Yes. So Paul Curry. Okay, here it is. He was 17 years old. And he was the one that shot Henry in the in the left thigh, and um, what a story to tell your buds! Right, for What'd sure. You do this weekend, I for shot sure. <laughs> um, and so there was a doctor was digging the bullet out, bullet out, but he um, and like stars, and there was like, what that kid shoot me with? And um, it was a hog rifle, so ah. you know it kind of splintered, and um, Star was said or Henry was said to be very embarrassed and he quote he was quoted as saying well I'll be damned I don't mind getting shot knew it would happen sooner or later but a kid with a hog gun that hurts my pride I think more than my pride would be hurt (laughs) (laughs) sounds like your thigh might be hurt I don't know did Um, that affect his um walk his gait I I'm not sure it never it never says I mean I imagine it would I mean 1915 well, you said like, he shot it and it splintered. Yeah. So it just made me wonder if. And I don't know how close damage. he was or what, if there was any permanent damage or whatever. Yeah. So, of course, he now goes on trial and he pleads guilty to everyone's surprise, probably even his own lawyer's surprise. And then he's <laughs> sent to the Big Mac. And for those of you who don't live in the state of Oklahoma, the, all you non Oklahomies out there, the Big Mac is Oklahoma State Penitentiary in McAllister. Um, he's sent there for 25 years. Mm Activate good behavior mode. (laughs) Guess who was paroled four years later? Oh, my goodness. He did have some help from Oklahoma's first commissioner of charities and corrections, a Ms. Kate Barnard. Someone we're definitely going to have to do an episode over. I want to do one because she was hellfire and brimstone, but she was on the warpath to get criminals you know converted and rehabilitated rehabilitated uh he completely fooled her i was gonna say was he um was he considered like a good looking guy did he use his charm i think so i think he was and i'll show you pictures of him um and i think he you know i think in those days i mean he's he's a cute guy i mean definitely a cute guy so are you ready for a twist you ready um, for always? Always, always. Enter in the year of 1919. Upon leaving Big Mac, Henry moves back to Tulsa where he becomes involved in the movie industry. What? <laughs> he literally becomes a partner and has an interest in the Pan American Motion Picture Company. He even starred in and produced his own movie, <gasps> no. Deptor to the Law, where he played himself. And so did Paul Curry of Stroud, who shot him, played himself, and the film depicted the Stroud bank robbery. Okay, let me get this straight. Henry Starr played himself. Yes, yes. The sheriff guy who shot him. No, it was the teenager. He's teen. Remember, he was 17. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was 17. He played himself. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, I don't see Henry Starr being super cordial to the guy who shot him in the leg and got him arrested. I, uh, apparently, they must have become buds somehow. I don't know. Interesting. Um, okay. So, um... The, he's like the ultimate, like, narcissist. For sure. It was said to have been very successful, the movie the was. The movie? And many more movies followed, followed like after this. Like, with Henry Starr in them? I don't or? know if he was actually in them or if he's more of a producer okay. or a partner in it. Um, but um, you can... Like, you can see on... I don't see any right here. Uh, oh, right there. So there's a movie poster of it. I'll post those pictures on Instagram. 
as well as all the other ones that we covered today. So here we go. We've come to the end of his story. Uh, is this for real this time? Mm-hmm. Or? It's 1921. It's not an Elmer McCurdy kind of thing. No, 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 no. <laughs> 1920, there's only one Elmer McCurdy in this world. <laughs> sure. That's Henry Starr's not it. Um, 1921, this is the final bank robbery, February 18th. The People's National Bank in Harrison, Arkansas. And this would be Henry's first bank robbery with a car. Okay. And I do want to say that he was one of the few outlaws who they believe successfully I don't know that you want to say successfully after I tell you the story, but this part of the story. Um, successfully trans trans um, transition from Old West outlaw, like horse riding yeah. and stuff, to uh, motorized outlaw. What so, we would think of as a gangster. Yes, exactly. Spoiler, this is also his last bank. It was his first with a car and his last as well. And... Once more, I was going to read to you from the Outlaw Tales of Oklahoma book. At first, the holdup went just as planned. The robbers pushed up the cashier's windows and covered bank president Marvin Wagley and cashier Cleve Kaufman, pushing out of the way Ruth Wilson, a bookkeeper for a gro- for a grocery firm who was in the midst of making a deposit for her boss. Hands up, yelled the bandits, when then repeatedly warned Kaufman to keep quiet, don't move. One of them then went inside the working area of the bank while a second man began to herd everybody else toward the vault. Starr had thoughtfully brought along a pillowcase, which he now opened. At gunpoint, he told Kaufman to do what he was told. You work with me and I'll work with you. By now, the robbers had to watch not only Kaufman, Wagley, and Ruth Wilson, but two other female employees and three more customers. Starr and his men also leveled their weapons at 68-year-old William J. Myers, who was a director and one-time president of the bank. Myers had just entered his office at the rear of the bank, walking right into the middle of the robbery in progress. Having no other option, he dutifully raised his hands and followed one of the robber's orders by walking into the bank vault. But Myers apparently believed in prior planning because he had a long since arranged for a back door to the vault, what he called his bandit trap, Mm. specifically for just such an occasion. He had also secreted a loaded 1873 Winchester at the rear of the vault. Interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So Myers is inside of this vault with a loaded shotgun. Henry opens the vault. Oh, man. And is instantly shot. Wow. And that's Um, probably like close range. Yes. He's instantly shot. And in Henry's gang fashion, they quickly abandon him and fled the scene. A posse quickly assembled and attempted to find them, but all they found was the burned up car a few days later. Interesting. At this point, Henry is seriously wounded and he's in jail in Bentonville. He asks to see George Crump, who's a former U.S. Marshal, but he was away. So Crump's son came, was in town and came and saw him and confirmed to everyone that it was the Henry Starr. Okay. Who was mortally wounded there. And knowing that the end was here near Henry, as you said before, probably the biggest narcissist we have talked about today. (laughs) He starts talking. He claimed that he was $20,000, which would equate to about $331,000 today, in depth. So that's why he started to rob banks again. Because, you know, he was in the movie industry and he didn't rob banks during that time. So, um, But his movies did well, so... Yes. So it says, I suppose. The bullet from, My- from Meyer's shotgun went into Henry's spine. He survived the removal of the surgery, mm. but was in danger of either a blood infection or uremic poisoning since the bullet had also torn through a kidney. Ooh. Four days later, Henry slipped into a coma and died. Yeah. It was said that as Henry slipped into his coma, he made the claim of having robbed more banks than any man in America. 
Those were his last words. Those were his last words. Those were the last words he chose to yep, say. Those were his last okay. words. And um, so that was him. Um, he was then, his body was moved back to Oklahoma. His mother claimed his body and mm-hmm. moved him back to Oklahoma and he was buried there. Um, some fun facts about Henry Starr. He was said to be very dapper and well-dressed for a 1920s man. I mean, he looked like it in the picture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he claimed many times to know both Tulsa's mayor and the county sheriff. Mm-hmm. And it said that he actually lived like down the street from or in between some of them. I think the sheriff and maybe the judge. Um, after mor- murdering Floyd Wilson, Henry, a known Cherokee, escaped and hid out for a while in Osage territory. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then once Henry left Colorado and returned to Oklahoma, when he wasn't supposed to leave, I think, all of a sudden, 14 Oklahoma banks get robbed between September 1912 and January 1915. You think that was a coincidence? Hmm. <laughs> you, you Let me think. You decide. You decide. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Henry, while being a movie star and a movie producer, also is a published author. Um, of <laughs> course he is. Yes, he is. I um, mean, why not? He pinned his autobiography. Did he paint his own portrait, too? I'm, I don't think he got that far. But he did pin his autobiography. Thrilling Events, The Life of Henry Starr. I'm totally wrong um, my eyes right now. Okay. And it is said that Henry Starr masterminded the only two-for-one bank robbery in Oklahoma um, that ever actually worked because the one that happened in Coffeeville did not work at all. Okay. Um, it was the it was the robbery there in Stroud. And um, Henry is said to be one of the few outlaws who successfully transferred or transitioned into the Old West um, to motorized. Although I don't know if you'd call that successfully because he kind well, of Well, I mean, I died. guess he went out in the blaze of flaming glory, sort of, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Okay, well, question for you. Okay. Um, so can you find his movies? Or I th- No, because I did look it up. I think they have a few stills from the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever movie studio had possession of them burned. And so they lost a lot of the... They had lost the actual film. I mean, so, I would totally be interested in seeing yes. how that... <laughs> if you Google some pictures, you can see some of... Like, just a few of the movie stills that I think are still... Um, around so um, but yeah the film is lost I was actually wondering if there was somewhere we could get like a, ha- a copy of the book maybe and I don't think it was on Amazon because I looked it up and I couldn't find it or if I did it was like outrageously expensive oh and, yeah I'm sure it, make, um, it makes you wonder how many were like how many copies were made yeah exactly so um, that's it for part one I think well I wanted to mention oh. my sources that oh I yeah can. yeah let's mention our sources before we do that before we sign off here um, the sources I used for Elmer McCurdy were um, NewEnglandHistoricalSociety.com. I also used the book 100 Oklahoma Outlaws, Gangsters, and Lawmen, 1839 to 1939, um, written by Dan Anderson with Lawrence Yodin. Um, and I also used uh, the NationalCowboyMuseum.org, which is Ooh. one of my favorite museums yes, to it visit. Yes, that's in a Oklahoma. great one. But um, those are my sources. Okay. My sources for um, both Old Tom Starr and Henry Starr was the actual, the book Oklahoma Scoundrels by Robert Barr Smith and Lawrence J. Yaddo. Wikipedia. <laughs> um, I also used 100 Oklahoma Outlaws, Gangsters, and Lawmen from 1839 to 1939 by Dan Anderson with Lawrence Yaddo. I used Outlaw Tales of Oklahoma, the second edition, True Stories of the Sooner State's Most Infamous Crooks, Culprits, and Cutthroats by Robert Barr Smith. And I also used Legends of America website, which is legendsofamerica.com. 
um, as my sources. Well, this was fun. This was fun. I'm so excited. I hope that our listeners are excited and that Me they want to listen. I hope this wasn't too awkward for people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not going to lie. I was nervous. And you can hear my family in the background. <laughs> our, our pod lab is just the office in my house. So, um, well, hopefully people will enjoy this and come back for another episode. Yeah. Um, part two will be released soon. And again, part two would be about infamous Oklahoma outlaws because second parter a second parter we were overzealous maybe I would say so yes 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 yes. and then part two will come out and then I think after that our third episode might be something paranormal yes yes (laughs) so to tell the people where they can find us we are on Instagram at curious cousins okay we um have not got our Twitter up yet or Facebook up yet, but Facebook will probably be Curious Cousins Okay as well. And you can email us email us at curiouscousinsokay at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. So Perfect. if you guys have any suggestions on what you might think we should cover or we're open to ideas and um we eventually want to do a listener's tale yes so, so if you've got some listener's tales please. whether yeah whether it's like true crime yes some kind of dark history happening in your town or even paranormal legends whatever email us please we would, love, we would to love to hear it read your story and possibly put it on one of our future yeah, shows absolutely so so well this is fun and i think we will see everybody later yeah so just take it away tell them what to keep it Uh, Well, keep it kooky and spooky. Bye now. Bye.